and welcome to Game and Watch with Aaron and James, the podcast where we talk about games we've been gaming and TV shows and movies we have been watching. I am Aaron, and I'm James. Uh, and today we are talking about the 2019 musical sensation uh, that was that was released in theaters. Um, that is a fact. It is the film Cats, uh, based on the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical of the same name. Uh, that's a good reaction, I think. <laughs> it's indicative of, I think, what we're going to feel going forward. I I woke up with a little, like, pep in my step today, Aaron, and then I, when I thought about talking about this musical, <laughs> it just drained all my life. Um, And, and not just, and I, I say this musical and not just this film adaptation of this musical. Um. Because I think I detest this on every conceivable level. You can detest something, um, except the choreography is admirable, and, it, and it's and it's not true. bad. It's it's just it's a, it's the one thing I'm I'm not going to say anything negative about. I guess I, I don't. It's not my style, um, but it's not. I don't. I don't find it so reprehensible like i do pretty much every other element of this shit factory of a movie i agree with you it is objectively an extremely bad film however i think there's enough batshit insanity and choices made so wrongly tilted to such an insanely wrong degree that it kind of comes back all the way around to brilliance for me a little bit in the way of the room Wow. Um, all right. Not not fully. It's not room level. It's not. But okay. I am fully prepared to admit that I will watch this film again at some point purely for just the stinky, stinky cheese factor, um, which I would imagine is something that you will not be doing. No, I I I was going to come in here and say, like, what circumstances there would have to be for me to rewatch this. And I don't I'm not going to say never but I would really like it to be never you'd really have to, (laughs) you'd have to catch me in the right moments and you'd have to really convince me that the best possible thing that we could be doing right now is rewatching this movie with you or with anybody. Right. Uh, I think it's just so baffling. Like it is so in your face, in your face, like flies in the face of every rule of plot or story or logic it but it just boldly insists that it exists somehow and i just again like the room i think when misguided projects are are just so chock full of warrantless confidence and i i just love it i just i love the idea that someone is tinkering away in the corner with what they think is their masterpiece but you walk up to it and it's clearly like you know uh just a bunch of popsicle sticks glued together um, and that's yeah. what we have here. The only joy that this really brought me was knowing that Tom Hooper uh, of the King's Speech fame re- like put his like passion into this. And it was such a failure that I-, I take pleasure from that because I don't think Tom Hooper is very talented. He made the King's Speech, which famously won the Academy Award for Best Picture. And he won the Academy Award for Best Director over... David Fincher for the social network um, and say what you will about the Oscars, all that. We won't, we won't have that discussion here. 
it's just highway robbery. Uh, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's just travesty. Um, no one's going to remember that movie or him. And so, you know what? Fuck Tom Hooper. And I'm glad this movie failed. <laughs> um, well, it's, it's a little bit baffling because the movie failed very, very hard. And something that we've talked about outside of the podcast is that this musical, whether you've seen the movie or not, almost everyone has at least heard of the Cats musical yeah. simply because of the longevity of that show on Broadway in New York. Um, which again, it's weird. It, and we'll talk about when we get to who I think this musical is for, but you would think with such a strong track record of like essentially decades of success that this yeah. movie would, mm. you know, share some of that success. It does not. Yeah. <laughs> it does not. No, it doesn't. So this movie, like you mentioned, was released in 2019. It was released, I think either on Christmas or like right after Christmas. Um, this is you know, adapted from the musical Cats, as you mentioned, um, which is written. Well, the music was written by Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh, who is known for much better shit like <laughs> Joseph, the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Excellent musical. Jesus Christ Superstar. Excellent musical. Phantom of the Opera. Excellent. Um, he is not a lyricist. No, often uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber uh, writes with Tim Rice, I believe he yes. uh, collaborates with often. Um, however, here, uh, you know, he didn't have a lyricist. So what did he use instead? He used T.S. Eliot's poems from Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. Okay. Um, <laughs> T.S. Eliot, great poet, by the way. You know, nothing wrong with T.S. Eliot. Sure. I'll take your word on that Um, because if this is true to the source material, when when I like, I find this movie devoid of artistry for the, the the majority of this movie is devoid of artistry. And I, I think that the lyrics I'll get into more of it later. The lyrics are terrible. They're, absolutely terrible and if that is from a poem then that poem is fucking terrible well it it, it hurts my ears to hear (laughs) the words coming out of these characters mouths i just (laughs) so it it, yes so the lyrics are almost exclusively from these poems um if anything they trim the the lyrics from the poems they don't really add anything that's not in the poems and i've gone back and read some of the poems um, like the McCavity poem and some of the others. And I think as like T.S. Eliot era, cutesy little poems about cats for kids. I think they're fun. Like if you were. This like, is for kids. Do you think this, you think kids are well, like, find this adorable. So uh, this is actually old mm. possum's book of practical cats is T.S. Eliot's one book of poetry specifically for children. Well, but it doesn't matter what it was for. Do you think <laughs> you could write a lot of things and say it's for kids? Right. No, I, I just, I think it works as a, as like a delightful poem book for children. I okay. think if, if you read that poem book for children and someone told you they turned this into a full Broadway musical, like, would you, well, yeah, you would just, you would never think it would look like this, right? You would never in a million years think that it would look like this. You would think it would be like cutesy and for kids. This is disturbingly. like Night, It's nightmarish. Like sexual and nightmarish yeah. and like not for kids. I'm not sure what adults it's for, um, but not 
me or you in any serious yeah. way. And I should get this out of the way. And I'm just, I'll speak for myself. I am not, you know, like a musical aficionado. I, I like, there's some musicals I really like some, I really kind of don't like at all. It's, it's a genre that's mixed for me. I, I, you know, there's like film adaptations of like, or like musical like films that are either adaptations of real musicals or not like Moulin Rouge or Sweeney Todd that I enjoy quite a bit. Um, I'm not like a, I don't, I'm not someone who seeks out like going to see a musical. It's just not how I would prefer to spend my time. That said, I, I don't want knowing and for anyone who's listening, knowing that I am not into musicals, I just can't stress enough how it little it matters in my ability to recognize that this is just a shitty musical. <laughs> oh, they they could take all the music out of this and it would still be awful. They could add some crazy element uh, to hopefully improve it. It would still be awful. Yeah. There's, yeah, it, no matter what lens you view this movie through as a musical, as a theatrical release, as an adaptation, wh- whatever, whatever dimension you're viewing it through, it will come absolutely come up short. Yeah. Like, there's no question. Yeah. Um, um, and what, what baffles me, so two things baffle me. One um, the extensive and talented cast um, and two that such an extensive and talented cast would feel comfortable essentially signing their identities away to be turned into green screen cat monstrosities. Yeah. Um, tell us some of the people who agreed to be green screen cat monstrosities. Yeah. So the cast here kind of ranges from like established singers like Jennifer Hudson Taylor Swift, Jennifer Hudson, Hudson, Oscar winner, by the way, uh, Taylor Swift, James Corden, uh, moving on, moving on, Jason Derulo. Then you've got dancers like ballet dancers and such like Francesca Hayward, Stephen McRae. And then you have the like top British talent in the form of Idris Elba, Judy Dench and Ian McKellen. And. I don't know when this happened for me, um, but there was a time when I was like very still like obsessed with film and, and, and watching consuming film. Oh, and this, but, this killed that for you? Well, now well no, no, it was, <laughs> it was just when they're like, when there's a big name cast where they're like fucking everybody's in this movie. That, that used to just immediately hook me. I would, I would do exactly what they want you to do. There's a big name. I will go see that movie. And not just a big name, but many big names. That almost never works, and I'm not sure why. It, it doesn't work on me anymore. Like, recent example, Don't Look Up. I thought that movie was not very good. Um, parts were good. Um, I think two, like some big ideas. But you got Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence. You've got Meryl, Meryl Streep, Streep. Kate Blanchett. Like, I... I can't tell you how like little I cared about that movie and how I just don't think it was that great. Um, I remember like, and, and this goes back, like, like speaking of Jennifer Lawrence in another movie, like American hustle. Do you remember American hustle? It was like a yes. David O. Russell movie. It was right on the heels of, um, or you no, know, it was right. It was, yeah. Like a year after silver linings playbook, it was like Jennifer Lawrence, Christian Bale, Bradley Cooper, Amy Adams, like four incredible actors. And I just thought the movie wasn't very good. Um, like, and I, I it was honestly probably around there where I was, I just lost faith in like star power as being a draw. And like, if 
obviously I, I went into this movie. I saw this even before I started getting bad reviews. And I'm like, I could give a shit about cats. I don't care how many famous people you, you can put David Lynch in this movie and it's not going to make me want to see it anymore. And I mean that Aaron, I really mean that. I do. I, I believe you. I, I think what happens is oftentimes perhaps if the studio has a lot of money to make something like they did in the case of this film, uh, mm-hmm. they see a big impressive cast as maybe a way to paper over some flaws of the film. Yeah. Again, like you said, just break, just get people in there. Once you get butts and seats, you know, the, the film itself could be awful, but you know, those people have paid for their tickets. Right. Um, I guess a little more background on the movie. So as I mentioned, Tom Hooper directed it, it was kind of planned. Uh, film adaptation was kind of planned for a while. He was kind of confirmed as director in 2016. He and the studio were trying to figure out very early how much of the movie to make CGI. And we will talk a lot more about their choices uh, in a bit. Um, so we talked about the cast. Um, the The movie was choreographed by a Tony Award winning choreographer behind like in the Heights and Hamilton. Again, I'm not, I'm not, I really don't have that many bad things to say about the choreography. It just, it's not going to make me like a movie where I otherwise find it detestable. Well, um, the choreography goes unfortunately somewhat unnoticed just because of how fucking weird and outlandish everyone looks like. Yeah. The, and the, how frantically it's, it's directed. Yeah. And I, I wasn't necessarily paying attention to the choreography at all as I would in other musicals because I was so engrossed in how freakish all the characters <laughs> looked. Yeah. Very distracting. Um, yeah. And I'll, on how the characters behaved. True. So you want to talk about what the cast had to do? Yeah, so um, they enrolled in what is maybe the most adorable education ever. They attended cat school. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Swift said that all the cast attended cat school in which, quote, we would literally do hours on end of barefoot crawling on the floor, hissing at each other. That sounds like cats to me. Sure uh, does. We learned about cat instincts and the way they carry themselves and the way they process information, the way they see the world, the way they move. I think this is very interesting that Taylor Swift gives this quote because she shows up for literally one song where her character does none of those things and sings from a hanging moon. She's She basically comes in like a... I mean, they all like come off as like humans in cat suits, but yes. she, it's like her... It's like Taylor Swift, the actual actress... Is in, the, is in the movie as herself and doesn't know that she's dressed as a cat. She's she acting a, like the most... She also seems like she's having more fun than all the other actors combined. Oh, she is, because she's getting to do the thing that she is best at, which is, like, sing in a music video style, like, from a very comfortable moon swing, um, which is right up Taylor Swift's alley. I don't True. Think she wants to with be, this like, like, dancing around like a cat. Right. She's got this, like, femme fatale, like, energy, and that is, I think, exactly the point of that character, and I think that she, that she does a fine job with it. Um, but woe be to you if you're a big Swifty and you see this film because she's in it for, like, what, four minutes? Yeah. Um, again, like, not even acting really like a cat. It's so, let's, should we park a little bit on, well, uh, Let's talk about the CGI a little bit more uh, and we'll, we, can, we can park on like CGI and like how effective or ineffective these actors are as cats. I just can't, I can't fucking do this. This, is, this movie is so bad. I don't, um, well, we'll talk about it. But the other thing is like, I don't know what the other options are. Not making it. <laughs> just yeah, don't I mean, do yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really the only alternative. Set option. fire to all copies yeah. of this musical. Um, so this was released again. 
around Christmas time and it had a kind of disastrous release and something happened that like, I couldn't think of another instance in history that I had heard of, of this happening where there's so many errors in the movie and this is CGI errors. Um, and one of the most off-sided examples is like Judy Dench. You can just see her, her human hand and her wedding ring is on because <laughs> they just forgot to CGI it. Um, and so I don't know how, what caused that to happen. Um, and like there were numerous other CGI errors. And so they had to like, they were like a, a modified version with improved special effects. And they basically had to like reach out to theaters to be like, please use this one instead. And they it was had like to do, unheard of. They had to do like a week one patch, like a video game. Yeah. It, 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 and that's, you know, it, it's very much like a video game. This is like a, a, a shit factory uh, release. Um, that but then again no matter how many times you could patch this movie well the baffling thing too about the cgi as i mean we'll talk about it more and what doesn't work but the level of like catness i guess or the level of how cat-like certain characters are it's wildly inconsistent yeah some of the characters are like covered in fur and are almost totally cats some of the characters are just like humans and leotards with like cat ears it seems a bunch of like horny humans um prancing around in leotards it's very it's very nonsensical the level of yeah the level of who should be more of a cat who shouldn't who are like sexy humans showing their abs off with cat ears who are it's it's very all over the place yeah and i didn't like dive super into research but i I just thought to myself there's got to be more publicly available information about what a disaster this production was I like, mean, honestly, I, I think it's honestly, I think it's a combination of the confusion. I, I don't think in their mind, I don't think Tom Hooper or David Hooper, whoever the hell the director was, Tom Hooper, uh, Tom yeah. Hooper, who cares? I don't even think he in the studio by the time they had the cast ready to film even had a full idea of how they wanted everyone to look by the end. Right. And I think it shows. Um, yeah, I just this is this is so baffling to me on so many levels. The other thing I think that contributed to it is I believe you're right. This was trying to hit a Christmas release. Um, you can't push back a Christmas release, right? Nope. January is when your movies go to die. You would have to push exactly. this to way further. I think they just crunched it, and that was part of the problem. Yeah, and with this kind of movie, I wonder, as I wonder with a lot of movies that are not like well received, is is like I want to like. Someone to interview some people in the cast and be like, at what point during the filming of this movie did you realize that this was going to be terrible? I don't think um, they did during filming because, again, during filming, everyone is in their like, you know, green screen suits and they're doing their singing and dancing. And I'm sure in green screen suits, the choreography was fine. The music's fine. Well, I'm sure it, like I'm sure in post-production was when and I'm sure the actors were like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. And then I'm sure in post-production is when everyone realized, oh, this is this is a nightmare. Maybe I can't help but wonder if you people realize it sooner. It's more of like a there's got to be someone on set who was just like really nervous about how it was like just by watching people doing it. Like, I mean, I don't know. There's got to be people who had doubts about it. Um, I don't know if like, because 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 CGI is not to blame for all of this movie's problems. It is way more problems, and some of it is just inherent in the source material. In my uh, opinion, yeah, I believe there was a lot of misplaced hubris about 
Yes. Not even hubris. Misplaced. Playing God. <laughs> yeah, playing God. <laughs> misplaced, um, perhaps, a misplaced belief that there was a deep market hunger for a cat's adaptation. And there was not. No. Um, although this film, you- I have already been reading articles that it already is starting to have a cult following. And well, places yeah. will do like midnight showings of cats. Already. I'm not surprised, but it's, I mean, there's a lot of movies I I, I hate. Um, and I, this kind of put some of those in perspective for me. Like, I think Batman and Robin is, I fucking hate that movie. Like, I, I don't enjoy watching it. And this movie made me think like, maybe I could enjoy watching that. Because this is so much worse. See, here I think we find one of the fundamental differences between the two of us. Um, I think you tend to, and this isn't necessarily completely true of either of us, but I think you tend to more attach yourself to whole narratives and Mm -hmm. like character arcs. I much more find myself attached to small moments and like kind of weird things or small moments that I really, really love uh, in, in movies and uh, books and films. Yeah. Not, not exclusively, but this whole film for better or worse, worse, unquestionably worse is just a weird series of moments. And mm-hmm. I think that's where I kind of get away with in my own head, wringing some enjoyment out of it because no matter how fucking weird or terrible a given moment is in this film there's gonna be a bizarre perhaps even worse even more bizarre moment coming up you just have to hang in there for a couple minutes well i i i truly think that and i think to, to a degree you're right about me but i don't think that that's how i approached this one because i gave up on caring about the plot a long time ago because i've heard of what this movie's about I went into this almost kind of expecting this to like to be broken down as like a series of moments. Am I going to enjoy them or not? And I didn't enjoy a single one of them. Um, It was just one nonsensical annoyance after another. If you, if you, again, if you think about this as just like moment to moment and I just, every time a character spoke, I hated what they said Every time a character danced, I didn't enjoy like the the song that they were dancing to. Like, do I think that um, what's it? Memories is that the most famous one? Probably. Like, I don't think that song is bad, but I also don't like love that song. Um, and it also has the most normal lyrics of the entire musical, yeah. <laughs> and that's probably why I don't hate it. Yeah. Um, this is like a just an acid trip, Doctor Seuss knockoff like it, lyrically it, it's just it's like t.s Eliot wrote this while having one of the worst trips of his life it's yeah it it has big it has big unhinged surreal energy and there's surrealism done right but this is surrealism unhinged this yes. is like whoever was in charge of this production could speak eloquently but in their head there was nothing but you know like mummies mummies and explosions and flames <laughs> like a madman do you have you ever seen fear and loathing in las vegas uh i have yes do you like it um i appreciate it okay 
I, I only thought of that just now as a comparison. Like I respect the attempt of that movie. I just, I think that that movie is nonsense and the kind of chaos that I don't like. I don't hate it. Like I hate this, but that was like one of the closest things I could think of in the moment just now to my experience watching it. Cause that movie has a plot. It's not really one that makes sense. It's more about these moments and this absurdity yeah, like drug fueled absurdity. And I just don't think it really works that well. It's like Terry Gilliam completely unhinged. This is. It's like there were no checks on the poetry, alleged poetry, the music, the casting, the 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 production. It's like it's almost like the, the Tom Hooper got handed tons of money by the producers and they just looked away and then it didn't came back on the last day. And they're like, well, we just wrapped. All right. It was time to do post. And then no one saw or saw like how bad it was going to be until like post-production. Like, what did we just do? Why did we give this man our money? Yeah. It's like a series of yeses that went too far and couldn't be stopped. Yeah. Um, just like people product, like Tom Hooper, winner of best picture, best director, People just assume he's a brilliant genius, gave him a ton of money. And I think, you know, the different people he surrounded himself with, the set designer, the costume designer, just kept showing him stuff and he kept going, yep, 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 yeah. And I don't think anyone stepped in and was like, mm, maybe we need to say no to some of these ideas. Yeah. Um, so it should come as no surprise to anybody that this movie was critically panned kind of across the board. Yes. Um, but... The musical lives on, I guess. It, yeah, it ran on Broadway for decades and decades and decades um, and was financially viable for all of that time. Um, I believe I know why. Yes, we, please. We talked about this briefly. Yeah. So it was probably one of the most, you know, long-term financially successful Broadway productions in New York City. And I was thinking about it and I was thinking why, because as you said, the play is this very seemingly nonsensical series of events involving humanoid cats. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the production design in the 2019 film looks different than the uh, Broadway production. The Broadway production is all obviously real effects, real costumes, etc. But also looks very freakish and nightmarish and strange. And I was thinking about it. Uh, and New York is such a big international city. I think Cats was successful for as long as it was simply because you don't need to speak English. Uh, even if you do speak English, this play or this musical really doesn't make it. This, move, this musical argu this, arguably isn't even in English. It, yeah. Who? Yeah. You. So you could be a tourist from literally anywhere in the world, buy a ticket to see Cats, hear music that's not aurally unpleasant. The lyrics don't make sense, but if you don't speak English, you don't have to worry about them. You get to see these crazy costumes. You get to see you, you get to say you saw a Broadway show in New York. And honestly, that's kind of it. And you can take your whole family. You know, there's nothing inappropriate in it. Uh, I it really kind really... of nightmarish. I could, if I had seen this when I was like three, I would have had nightmares. Oh yeah, like, but, the, the mean, movie or the musical. There's nothing explicit that that someone reading the script would say a child can't see this. It's only after seeing it that you would say, "Dear God, I would never let my child see this." But I think for all those reasons, that's why Cats was successful. Not because it's great, because. 
it's nonsense that anyone visiting New York from anywhere in the world could see and not really have to understand. Also, too, I think the production costs were low. And again, this is completely my own theory okay. because so many of the uh, characters in this are just need to be like dancers and cat suits. And I imagine that the makeup and to put on the cat suits in the Broadway production would be hours long and seems nightmarish. Mm-hmm. So I imagine they just hired very young either students or like acting recent acting grads who are like, yeah, I'll sit in a makeup chair for six hours to get my cat makeup on and get paid a barely living New York City wage because I'm a struggling actor. <laughs> um, so I think all of those factors led it to stay viable on Broadway. But I, I don't think it was for its quality at all. Yeah. Not at all. Um, so I don't really have, I mean, the, we watched this movie together. Um, yeah. I had heard of it. I, I really never planned to watch it. And it wasn't until we kind of started this podcast where I was like, this would be a good thing to watch for the podcast. Right. And I, my history with the musical is that I'm, I'm just very familiar with the names in this musical. It's just, I don't know how this has kind of reached me because I've never seen it. Um, but I've, I've heard songs from it. Um, more than one song felt familiar. Um, and I just never cared. It always looked like a terrible time to me. Um, but it, it wasn't like I didn't have this kind of like hatred for it until now. And I, I hate it so, so much for all merciless 110 minutes of its runtime. Like it's just you couldn't even make this movie like 80 minutes like fuck no i don't i don't think they could um although now that i'm saying it out loud i think we definitely should have played the movie at 1.25 speed um and seen seen how that really uh changed everything you know i thought of how i would watch this movie again if they release the butthole cut give me the butthole cut give me give me the give me the um I was going to say genetically correct. Give me the the cats with correct anatomical genitalia. Give yeah. me that. Give me and just like crotch licking, butthole licking. Give like, me give me Jason Derulo with a big old corkscrew cat penis because they are corkscrew shaped. <laughs> just give me just give me that. Yeah, that's what I they're want. Cor- they're corkscrew shaped to like trap the females. Essentially. <laughs> well, or no, I, those are ducks. Those are ducks. Cats have that, barbs. Cats have barbs on their penises to trap the females. <laughs> they do. It's true. God. Yeah. Nature is inherently sexist. Yeah. So imagine the rum tum tugger Jason Derulo with like a big old swing dick with like <laughs> poisonous barbs coming off it. I would watch that. I would watch I, that version of the movie. I would just, too. And just like, ups, you know, like uh, how uh tom hooper filmed like les miserables with so so many of those up close like shots yeah. of singing live i want all those up close butthole shots that, oh, yeah. that would make this movie actually funny oh yeah um i my own history with this film slash musical i uh, have never seen it this is the first time i saw it i was familiar with andrew lloyd weber because of joseph and the amazing technicolor Dreamcoat, which i saw as a kid and Fantastic still love it today yep. so, yes yeah, great <clears throat> still love it today um, as well as Phantom of the Opera, which doesn't quite hold up as well, but it's still quite a bit of fun. Um, I did hear about this uh, musical obliquely from the short-lived NBC 90s sitcom, Caroline in the City. About oh my str- gosh. <laughs> about a struggling cartoon artist um, and her, her pals, which I actually watched like all of when it was on TV for some reason. I remember it. 
Yeah, but uh, one of her good friends in the show was a dancer in Cats. And I remember that was kind of like a long running joke. And that's where kind of I have this idea of even in the show, it was kind of a very derisive thing that this character who is an actress is in Cats because they kind of made the joke that Cats is like, you know, the bottom of the bottom um, if you're a Broadway person. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where my my attitude or my thought that this is kind of where recent uh, theater grads go to get their first job kind of came from. But I think it's still true. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, this is a Mm -hmm. but that was really my only experience with it. So I kind of just knew it as a joke. So, you know, anytime there was an opportunity to listen to the music or anything like that, I kind of passed it up because I considered Cats to be a joke. Watching the film, I realized that it is a joke, but not necessarily for the reasons that I thought it was. Or a funny one. Or, well, they're, I think they're funny, but well, I know you are of a slightly different opinion. Yeah, I don't think anything was going to change that. Um, no, no. So instead of kind of going over what, like nothing works, right? Nothing works. But we're just kind of going to go down beat by beat over different things and why they don't work. Yeah, and, and then we'll probably land uh, end on the plot and then we'll well we've got a plan for talking about the plot yeah um so let's talk about like the cgi and character design um and and kind of the production design all all like character cgi production design and i and i put it all together because it was all very clearly like chosen for a reason and i think it none of it works in in the slightest um, one thing that I pointed out in terms of like production design was the scale of these cats versus their scenery and how wildly inconsistent it is and how more often than not, they were way, they're either way too big for their surroundings or way too small. It's just completely inaccurate in terms of like the average cat size relative to their environment. I think you hit the nail on the head with kind of all of these issues, CGI, scenery, everything inconsistent. It's it's completely inconsistent, which seems odd because that's either intentional, but to what effect, I don't really know. Or it's unintentional, which to me makes it incredibly sloppy and lazy. Yeah. Um, like it, it clearly seems that the more famous, you know, actors that want more screen time, they just look at themselves in cat suits. Um, but then it's like Judy Dench, who she doesn't want to like wear a weird skin tight suit. She basically gets to wear a fur coat. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah, it's everything about it is just very inconsistent. And two, again, it feels like, again, now that I'm saying it out loud, it feels like consideration from the talents like agents. Yeah. Right? Taylor Swift's agent, I'm sure was like, we're not putting her in a bunch of cat like prosthetics. She's going to be Taylor Swift with like some light cat CGI. Same thing with Jason Derulo. Same thing with Judy Dench. I'm sure her agent was like, yeah, she's not doing that. Like, get her in a coat. Yeah. Um, that's just my theory on that, though. What did you think about the CGI? Well, I know what you thought, but, like, let's talk about the CGI. <sighs> yeah. Again, I don't really know what the alternative is because you could do crazy cat costumes. That would also look stupid and silly. Um, so I don't – I think animated, honestly. I think an animated musical of this would also be misguided and terrible – but I think it would be the only solution that would adequately allow you to present the characters in a way that's not yeah. insane or laughable. There's no way to fix this in a way that I would enjoy. Like, and you, you solve a lot of problems by just having it be an animated movie with cats and not like human like cats. No, just real cats. fucking cats like yeah. Aristocats. Like, cats. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You 100%. know, 
But then you still have the problem of the fact that I fucking hate the lyrics and the music and all of that. So that only solves one problem. But it would be better than watching this. It just it would be better. So much better. The only thing I'll say, let's touch on the music briefly, because I think we covered production design. Like there's literally nothing good to be salvaged from it. It's it's just it's not good. Um, But the music itself, and I think this is true of a lot of Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals. I will say that just again, orally, not the not the lyrics, but just the the melodies of the music itself. I think something fun that Weber does in most of his shows is that um, the music and the production numbers tend to be multi-generic. Um, so there tend to be like even in this play or even in this musical, as you can see, you have something like Dreams, which is very emotional, very heavy um, stylistically. But then something like the Rum Tum Tugger song, which is a little more like poppy and fun. And then you have the McCavity song, which is very much a fun kind of um, jazzy, you know, villain tune. <laughs> Um, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat's the same way, Fan of the Opera's the same way. I think musically that keeps it a little fun and interesting. Um, Les Mis, a lot of those songs are, you know, very laborious, you know, emotional ballads. Um, Andrew Lloyd Webber's musicals, for the most part, are not like that. I, I'd like to think I can detach the lyrics from the music. And I would also like to say, I still think that if the lyrics were different or just non-existent. I would not like the music. It's just not for me. I mean, I don't have to like everything Andrew Lloyd Webber does. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I just, I found, especially in the first like hour, the, 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 the very, very beginning in general, like the first like Jellicle songs for Jellicle Cats. It's just shoot me, in, <laughs> shoot me in the fucking head. Like it was so, uh, the, the, the naming of the cats, like that song that, um, rebel wilson's character like dances to like i, I musically I, I again i i hated every second of it i i, I just don't i don't know if the lyrics were what like is the ca- root cause of that I, I i mean it's certainly a big factor it's just i don't know there's no way that the music was ever gonna work for me yeah so music I, again, I like the, I like some of the tunes and I appreciate the fact that it is multi-generic. It's not the same types of songs for the entire production. I, I agree. Lyrics, not great. I think for a kid's poem, a kid's book about silly cat poems, fine. But as a musical with a coherent plot, absolutely not. So if all of that is bad, um, let's talk about the brief bits of quote unquote acting we get. Can we talk before we do that? Can we just talk briefly a couple about a couple inconsistencies in the CGI? And, and you sort of touched on it, right? Because you mentioned that Judy Dench like basically just wore like a fur coat and didn't didn't like get all done up in like a leotard with like you know motion capture and stuff. But even within like the the the, the slimmer cats, let's just say the ones that aren't wearing these giant fur coats, like there's inconsistencies in like where the fur is present, like and, and like some 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 of them have like furry chests when other ones don't, it just looks like a human, like human pecs or tits. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's, I do. it was wildly inconsistent with like where you're CGIing fur and I, like, and also now that I'd learned more about what cat's tails do, I don't think that the, there was much attention paid to the cat tail behavior. That is true. I will also say that, um, I think maybe the explanation for that is the production design wanted each cat to look and feel different, which on paper is a good idea. In execution is a bad idea 
because we want the main character cats to look distinct. But if every background extra cat is completely unique, it creates complete visual clutter and yep. it makes me just not care about any of them. Visual clutter is another great way to describe this movie. Oh yeah. It is just an offense to the senses, including the eyes. It's just, it's like looking at like the, what do you, what those, um, what do you call those? Like the, where you like stare at them to see the illusions, those like chaotic, oh. like, uh uh where you unfocus your eyes and yeah then i can't think of the name right focus. now it's like it's yeah. like looking at a really bad one of those yeah and yeah. but you can't see what you're supposed to see in it it just looks like fucking gibberish the whole time it's that's what this movie is i'm not really. a social media person but to give a quick anecdote this week i was shown a social media post um and asked what i thought of it and it was a grid of nine boxes and each box had its own very detailed ex- like ex- you know bespoke picture and each one was highly detailed in very bright different colors okay so it was a, it was a mm. you know a grid of nine a three by three grid of just wildly detailed extremely bright colors in each different box and it was like this is a nightmare like yeah. i can't i can't discern any of this like yeah this is not a coherent focused singular piece of anything um and that's that's kind of what this felt like um agreed and I'm sorry to divert, you know, getting back to, to the acting. Um, I would say that this movie, what what's needed from the performers is nothing that a Oscar nominated actress or actor, for instance, can offer that a non Oscar nominated actor, actor or actress could, could, could do like it. You don't need Judy Dench. You don't need Ian McKellen other than to say you have them in your movie. Anyone could have played any of these roles. The acting is for the most part, just literally reacting to cats saying things. I mean, the whole fucking movie is this Victoria cat reacting to the nonsense that's going around like around her and other cats just kind of like reacting to threats or just other cats doing allegedly impressive things like even even allegedly impressive even even like jennifer hudson's like she probably gives the most nuanced performance of all of them and it's moderately effective but you don't need jennifer hudson if just not for the singing you don't need her as an actress i think the other part of it too is just a result of the lyrics and the structure we'll get to plot maybe next but it's essentially a reality show and each cat is like, here I am, here's what makes me special. And so that's basically it. It's basically a series of different cats being like, hi, I'm this kind of cat. Here's what I'm like. And they get their song. And what that does is there's in terms of, you know, suffocating the acting, it means there's really no back and forth. It really means it's like, hi, here, this is me. This is the kind of cat I am. Maybe one other person will sing in this song to also describe the kind of cat I am. Well, I have a bunch of cats all dancing around with me, but I'm not going to meaningfully interact with, with Victoria or any of the other characters. I'm just going to talk about who I am and me and then bye. And then you're going to learn about a different cat. Yeah. Um, so the structure doesn't even really allow for a lot of <laughs> like conflict or trauma. I mean, there, there is kind of, but it's a stretch. 
there's there's just no there's really no interaction which is bizarre to say of like any plot but yeah. there isn't and it, it it has it's like also taking like that annoying anime trope which sometimes isn't as annoying where like people are commenting on what other people are doing like you need to explain to the protagonist who doesn't know what's going on exactly what's going on it's like it's not it's 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 it's, it's bad enough with uh, and a cat singing an annoying fucking song about who they are and what they do and having these like other characters like Mr. Mistopheles or whatever, like also saying, hey, by the way, Victoria, that's uh, Rum Tum Tugger and uh, he's a curious cat. She's like, I fucking know he's singing about it. Like you don't. It's just such a stupid, stupid st- story in a stupid musical. Well, also because these cats are just kind of introduced and like, okay, bye, here's the next one. Some of the songs get a lot of emotional weight that is just completely unearned. Completely Because unearned. it's like, we don't, who is, the, like, we don't know this cat. Who the fuck is this person slash cat? Like, why do we care? Why do we care about them at all? Every emotional beat drops dead. It's dead on arrival. I, I, I like... I don't, I would love to have a conversation with someone who's like, I saw cats and I felt things I've never felt before. I would, I would want to see the, yeah. Bring me the person who cried at cats, bring them to me. I would love to pick their brain for hours. I I need to know. I I, I would, I wouldn't want to make them feel bad about it. I just want to understand. I want to understand it. Uh, Okay. Should we talk about the plot? Or yeah, what what's our, they what's, consider the plot? Yeah, what what's our plan for for this? What's our game plan? So here's the thing, and here's what again, this is a bad adaptation for a lot of reasons. But I I was kind of thinking about it, and I think it's a bad adaptation for yet another reason. And it's this: if you saw this play uh, on Broadway or wherever, you would be given a playbill, right? Mm-hmm. The playbill features the actors, features notes about the production, etc. The playbill almost always also features a plot synopsis, okay? If you watch this film, the 2019 Cats, there is no plot synopsis. You get no information beforehand. There's no preamble. There's no you waiting in the theater for the play to begin with you reading the the, the bill. There's none yeah. of that. So what I was thinking, uh, because I was thinking about Zelda, as I often do, um, and Seeing the film of Cats, the 2019 film, is like playing Zelda 1 on Nintendo Online versus seeing seeing Cats in the Broadway play in the theater is like getting an NES copy of Zelda 1 where they gave you the manual and the map knowing where everything is. So if you are playing Zelda 1 on NES with the actual map and the manual, you will kind of know what the story is. You will kind of know where to go. You will kind of know where the dungeons are. You will kind of know where to get items. If you just start playing Zelda on Switch Online and you've never played it before, you are going to be fucking lost. Um, and that's kind of the the distinction I made with this. If you see the Broadway play, you get the write-up over actually what's going on or supposed to be going on. If you watch the 2019 movie, you get nothing. Okay. That makes sense. I'm yeah, glad, I, I, I'm glad that you didn't explain that note to me beforehand. I really yes. was very curious to see what you were going to say with it. Does I, that make sense? It does. I mean, I'd personally argue watching this movie without a playbill is also more like, I don't know, getting a prostate exam from Freddy Krueger. I but, would say I would say going in blind is actually the best way to see this because you will be blown away by well, the absolute nonsense that 
transpired. I wish I could say I'm glad I did. I mean, it wouldn't have mattered if I knew the plot going in. I mean, it, it probably was better that I didn't, but what's that going to change? So this is from the official Cats the Musical website, and it breaks the plot into four, I rather five distinct sections. I assume the acts. Okay. Which is also interesting to me, where apparently they decide to break up the axe. Who even knew there were axe? You know, it's just uh, one, one like flowing stream of garbage to me. Okay. Would you, would you like me to read uh, the introduction and then we'll see how closely this, this mirrors what we actually saw? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Again, this is from catsthemusical.com. Midnight, not a sound from the pavement. Suddenly, an explosion of music and lights reveal a larger-than-life junkyard. Probing car lights tear across the darkened landscape of bottles and boxes, briefly catching the darting images of a running cat. Tonight is the one special night each year where the tribe of Jellicle cats reunites to celebrate who they are. Okay, first of all, that sets up the, the musical in a way that the film does not at all. No. The Jellicle cats are just popping popping off and talking about being Jellicle. At least this plot synopsis explains, no, they're doing, this is, this is their job this night, right? They emerge singing of their unique abilities and special traits. The cats are at first suspicious and proud, reluctant to allow an audience to allow an audience into their domain. We never get that sense from the movie. Also, I don't know what the I don't know what the Broadway production was like, but they could do fourth wall breaking things like having the cats meander through the audience, doing things like that. Yeah. Um, in the naming of cats, however, which is the first big number, they reveal themselves and that cats have three different names: the one their family uses, a dignified name, and a secret name. It is the contemplation of these secret names that keep felines deep in their thoughts. I, okay. The sense I got from the movie was like this Victoria, this like white cat is thrown into like discarded, I guess, by her owner or something in a junkyard. And then all these other cats just assault her yeah, for, for the next two hours. <laughs> basically. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. But act two says this, the invitation to the Jellicoe ball. Here we get Victoria, right? So as you said, Victoria seemingly gets abandoned by her family. I don't know if that's true of the musical. In this, it just says, she dances to the signal, the invitation to the Jellicoe ball. Monk Strap, a large gray tabby, explains that the Jellicoe cats meets once a year to rejoice, waiting for their wise old leader, old Deuteronomy, who will choose which of the Jellicoe cats will journey tonight to the Heaviside Lair to be reborn into a new life. This they do communicate in the musical, but it it in here it makes no sense. In the musical, it makes no sense. It, yeah, and I guess the Heaviside Lair is not heaven per se. It's more just like a chance at rebirth. That's well, what I. But, but that's yeah, that's the thing. So like, are they dying? Are they getting reborn? Also, time means nothing because no, they say that you could be reborn as like an Egyptian sphinx or like the mist, you know, the cat to a pharaoh. So apparently reincarnation is like all zip zapping through time, which is a fun idea. Yeah. Explore that a little bit. Yeah. So it's, again, as we said, it basically becomes this reality show where each of the different cats go up to in some way, old Deuteronomy. And they're like, Hey, here's the kind of cat I am. You should make me a Jellicle cat, but here's what makes no fucking sense. At the very beginning, they say the Jellicle cat, she's not going to pick them for like, you know, their great ability. She's going to pick the cat that deserves it the most. Yeah. Right? So like all these fucking cats, like the rum tum tugger. Yeah. I get that you're a playable prankster, but why the fuck would she pick you? You seem to have a great life. You he's know, a every, curious cat. He's a curious cat that all the lady cats want to fuck. Apparently. Like apparently. it seems like his life is, is great. So we got a bunch of weird cats. We got, well, McCavity seems to think like he's not going to get picked 
McCavity yeah. of all of them seems to think he might get picked, but it's like, why the fuck, McCavity? Well, no, I mean, he, he only thinks that he's going to because he's trying to, like, the whole movie, McCavity is apparently trying to. When I say apparently, I mean, I, 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 my viewing experience of this, I feel like I was like detached from my own body, uh, watching myself watch the movie. And I don't think that I was able to actually gather a lot of what was going on other than, I mean, McCavity was a villain. He was trying to kidnap other cats to like knock them out of the competition. Right. And, and even that wasn't immediately apparent to me. And sure, that's probably my fault. It's probably it was probably more obvious than I thought it was, but I think I was just so distracted with uh, everything else, uh, the chaos. Anyway. Yeah, so we get a bunch of intros to all these cats. There's like uh Rum Tum Tugger, Jenny and Dots, uh there's Fat James Corden cat, there's Mungo and Jerry and Rumple Teaser, which are like some <clears throat> like a like a team, brother and sister. Yada, really yada. really really quick. The Jenny Any Dots Rebel Wilson number, would you say possibly the worst part of the whole movie? That and the James Corden. Well, there, James Corden was in that. So yes, it was it They're was back back to back like I think those things are like back to back the 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 Rebel Wilson number and the, the and the James Corden number and I'm not even saying that because of James Corden even though his presence is enough to make me hate it but both of those were just terrible and I'm saying like that's like point one out of ten in a movie that's otherwise like a point two out of ten. Yeah, we get the introduction of Jennifer Hudson's character, who's like a very sad, unkempt cat who the other cats, I guess, don't want her and she doesn't have a human family. And from literally the first second of seeing her, you're like, well, she's going to be the fucking angelical cat. She does yeah. the most. She's the she, she looks like Jennifer Hudson. She's like morose and beautiful. And yeah. Yeah. Like she so from moment one, you're like, well, she's going to get it. Um, we, yeah, we just have, again, more cats introducing themselves. McCavity shows up, uh, he gets his own little song, um, where the Taylor Swift cat is talking about how evil he is. Um, and then he shows up and he's like, Hey, old Deuteronomy, I'm evil and you should make me the Jellical cat. <laughs> and old Deuteronomy's like, yeah, no, why would I? Um, so, uh, they do... <laughs> They like kidnap her, right? And then that's when Mr. Mistopheles tries to do magic to bring her back. Yeah. I think we're, I, we're skipping some stuff, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And the things we're skipping, I don't even remember happening. There's, which is why I'm not remember the, the siblings, Mungo Jerry and Rumble oh, Teaser? Well, I, I don't actually, know if they're actually dude, siblings, but yeah, they're like piece of shit cats that like cause a bunch of mischief for their, you know, the humans around them. Also, we find out that they're working for McCavity. Who cares? I, I don't. Yeah. Um, so Mr. Mistopheles, they're like, you're magical, I guess. Bring back old Deuteronomy. So they have this whole song about Mr. Mistopheles and how fucking magical he is and how great he is. And again, this is one of those big emotional songs where it's like, we don't fucking know Mr. Mistopheles. Also, I don't care that old Deuteronomy is gone. So whether she comes back or not really means nothing to me. <laughs> um so they, they sing to, to get Mr. Mistopheles all jazzed up so that he can use Mac to bring her back. Then he either does or doesn't. I guess he doesn't, but he tries. And then Judy Dench shows up like stage left or whatever. Yeah. So in my, and they're like, oh, Mr. Mistopheles, it worked. And I'm like, no, it didn't. She just showed back up, but whatever. So then old Deuteronomy picks Jennifer Hudson cat to be Jellicle because of fucking course she does. Cause she's the sad one. Yeah. Um, and then that's it. <laughs> 
Like, yeah, that's, that's basically it. And, it. and then when you think the movie is going to end, it doesn't. They like watch her float away. They're singing this number that kind In, of like, a carries. Weird, well, also the like I was thinking, oh, the heavy side layer. She'll become like a beam of light, or it'll in some way abstract her being reborn. No, she just gets into a weird little hot air balloon and flies away. Yeah. And, and and the 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 way the music is kind of swelling, you're like, this is the end. This is the the final song. But the movie has got one last twist. It's not the end, and it just has one more fuck you, where they like all look at the camera and then they like sing another song to like the audience, sort of. I, I don't I don't even know. Well, which makes sense in a musical context because I guess the audience right. is part. Well, but hold on, stage musical because the audience is physically there and part of the show again if they did any fourth wall breaking things with the cats or the members of the audience, again, that fully makes sense that they would address a song to the audience in a film. It doesn't. Yeah. Um, it does not. I I'm going to, we said there's n- none of nothing works. And, and again, to reiterate, I, I hate this movie with every, every thing that I am two things that work. And it's not really work. It's more of just like a brief. Well, what like I mentioned, the choreography isn't horrible there. The moment there's like a big like when they're when the Jellico ball starts and they're all dancing, it's just dancing. There's no lyrics, the music and has calmed the fuck down that it was like this, like oasis that I so desperately needed after like the first chaotic 40 to 45 minutes. I don't know. I taught time lost all meaning, but there was just this brief break where like the music doesn't suck for like five minutes and it, you could breathe again. And I guess that's a plus. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to say the, you know what I'm talking about? What, though, I right? do. Yeah, I do. I'm going to say the only thing that worked for me was the McCavity song and not even fully worked. Like, I just think the idea, and this, to be clear, the McCavity song is Taylor Swift, who's McCavity's like lady, I, I that, suppose. I guess that song wasn't, wasn't singing bad, but... about McCavity. And I just think in conception, that's a really fun idea. Like a character who's so villainous or so sneaky that another character sings about. Like, I think that's fun <clears throat> that there's a villain who's so dastardly that someone else has to even bring him up before they show up, uh, you know, that like kind of, get the audience excited but it doesn't work because we've already seen McCavity and he's kind of like an annoying bumblefuck before this yeah um and then two he like I guess what's different about this than the stage play because I kind of looked up some things in the McCavity yeah. song in the stage play McCavity never really shows up he shows up after the song is sung so everyone is like prepped for him in the movie, he shows up and like joins in on the song, which is infinitely less cool. To me. Yeah, he also shows up a lot earlier. Just pops up yes. every once in a while, with, like because it's yes. Idris Elba and you're paying him money to be in a movie. So exactly, where I in. think it's way more fun to keep him off screen and sing about him and like what he's like, and then he pops up and you're like, oh shit, okay, McCavity's on the scene. Yeah, um, I think that's a, a fun idea, but that it doesn't get executed on really at all in this movie. Yeah. I mean, that's all I really care to say about the plot. Do you have anything else you want to? No, again, just that, like, I guess now realizing that you would get the full playbill that has the plot kind of makes the musical make more sense now to me. But again, you don't get that with the film. And which is why you could probably go in and be like, what the fuck? Also, this is a family movie. So I'm sure a lot of parents took their kids to this. 
being like, oh, cats, you know, kids love cats. It'll be, it'll be fun. They'll figure it out. I, again, show me the child who knew what was going on. Show me the child <laughs> who, who could recite the plot to this and actually enjoyed it. Bring the children to Aaron. <laughs> like, like bring them to me. I want to know. Um, so if this were to, if we were to readapt it to perhaps not a, a movie, if it were to be a video game, how do you see this working as potentially a video game? This was really hard. I had like scattered ideas. And again, all of these things, these thought exercises are more difficult when I hate the movie, like really hate it. Like there's bad movies that I enjoy, as you know, and that would be make it this more fun of an experience. So this was actually very difficult for me to do. So I'm just going to give you my first attempt at an idea, and then I'll give you my the one I landed on. The first one was a Grand Theft Auto-style open world in 1930s London okay. where you are trying to get... It's like the, the Jellicles are like the mob, and you're trying to get in with them, and so you have to like do a bunch of like tasks for them, like kill other cats or something. Oh, just, okay. You know I like what I mean? Like it's, like it's basically just Grand Theft Auto cats. I love it. Where I landed on it... Uh, so this is a video game that I would hate, but it, it's the think of it. It actually existing was extremely amusing to me. Picture this maddening rhythm game like DDR, the new kingdom hearts game mm. where you get like, I, as much as I fucking hate the lyrics and, and the music, just imagine trying like forcing people who like rhythm games, try to play or sing to this or dance to it. I just think it would be an exercise in frustration. So I, my idea included elements of a rhythm game. Okay. Would you like to hear mine? Absolutely. So mine would be a Marvel Ultimate Alliance style beat em up. But instead Ooh. of being, instead of being in teams of four, you're in pairs of two. And essentially you're beating the shit out of McCavity's henchmen to get to the Jellicle ball. Um, you would create your own cat. So there'd be character creation. Um, and you would get to choose which party member you'd want. So like Victoria, Rum Tum Tugger, uh, you know, various other cats. Yeah. And then you would watch the, insto- the story unfold from like an outsider's perspective. And then depending on who, which cat you pair with on each level, there are different combo techs, right? So like Chrono Trigger, right? Depending on what cat you're paired with, you can do yeah. du- dual techs, <laughs> et cetera. And then there would be multiple endings based on like who's in your party most frequently, who becomes Jellicle based on like your actions. Yeah. Um, so they would reward multiple playthroughs. And then the songs would come up as like breaks between the levels. There would be like brief rhythm games where you would kind of play the songs. Um, so that's the best I could do. That's pretty adapting. good. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what I've, that's what I've got. Okay. I think it works. I mean, it's hard to do, a, like, I guess with a video game, it's easier to have like the audience surrogate. Cause yes. it, the, the character of Victoria is like it, the, the equivalent of like you being the audience, like Victoria's given nothing to do in the movie. It's like, if I went to a party with a bunch of theater kids and all they did was just sing songs about what they major in and what kind of like what they're into. And I was, and what I wasn't allowed to speak. I went to a party of mostly theater majors and that's sort of what it was like. Actually, I, I, I did too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did too. Uh, the, the stereotypes are real. It was insufferable. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, I like your, your game more than mine. Uh, I, that I, that's a, I really tried to, 
be clever about it. And I just couldn't think of like how this would fit other like c- certain types of video games. And I think you nailed it. That's really I just think one. it would be fun to just beat the shit out of humanoid cats with Rum Tum Tugger at your side doing weird combo moves. Like, doesn't that sound kind of fun? <laughs> it kind of does. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that I would, this game would be more enjoyable uh, than the movie. Also, you could really lean into the surrealism and in incorrect proportions of the settings. Yeah. And do like fun platforming with like really wacky, uh, surreal London 30s backgrounds. Yeah. It's funny that I would, if there was a game released about that, I, I would forgive so much more about what a video game could get wrong about cats than I would a movie. Like, Absolutely. it's like I hold people to a higher standard with video or with movies than I do video games. Yes. Um, would you want to live in this world? fuck no i i think i'd rather die uh or like if i could just be in 1930s london away from all cats that'd be great but uh if i had to be a cat in this world no also too (laughs) if you really think about the metaphysics of cats it's very grim because one cat out of all the jellicles once a year gets to be reborn and the rest go to hell or like just die and go into a blank void forever (laughs) yeah right it's super morbid yeah um so no i wouldn't want to live in this world yeah um this was really hard kingdom hearts corner i think i nailed it i'm sure you did i had so much faith in you here um so let me just get my uh stuff out of the way so we can get to the real shit which is your stuff um I mean, I kind of went bland and basic. You got like Sora, Donald, and Goofy trying to help Victoria become the Jellicle choice. Um, and I guess she'll fight alongside you, which gives her infinitely more to do than she has in the musical itself. And it also sure. like requires writers to like give her, to, to try to attempt to give her a video game personality, which is a high task because there's no personality that's given to her in the musical. Um sure. And I guess you kind of like fight like a heartless, like a McCavity and his army of heartless. And, you know, like that's maybe like, you know, given that it's like a kingdom hearts level, you're going to probably do, there's some, like you could have some mundane tasks. Like maybe you got to go find all the cats and rescue them from heartless. I don't know. And then doing that old Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is like, you're the Jellicle choice. And Sora's like, yeah. And then McCavity shows up with a giant ass heartless boss. Like, and you just got to beat the shit out of them. Beating the shit out of cats, it, it does sound fun. Um, yeah. My yeah, my plot was essentially the same. So just Kingdom Hearts up a little more. So like it's the cat with the strongest heart that's always the jello. Of course. And then of course McCavity, yep, is corrupted by the heartless. He's commanding a bunch of heartless cats. Um, Sora and Donald Goofy are in adorable cat forms that they get for this world. Um, I had the keyhole be uh, the balloon at the end, I guess. I, I Mine as well is in the hot air balloon. Or, or it's yeah. not a hot air balloon. It's like a chandelier or something. Yeah. And then I was thinking about the keyblade. And this is this is the one I kind of thought about most. Okay. Um, but I the keyblade I thought of is called Three Names. And so the keyblade, the keychain, the shaft, and the blade are all references to Sora's three different cat names. So I don't know what the other two would be, but his name is Sora, right? Which it means like air or wind in Japanese. So I figured the like blade part of it at the top could be like uh, like stylized gust of wind. And then Sora in the level could mm. learn maybe his two other cat names. And then the shaft and the key, like the keychain would relate to those. Mm. I don't know what they would be, but that was my idea. Designing the actual like 
look of the Keyblade was really hard. Um, mine, I just called Hearts Memories. Um, and it's I, to me, I guess it just pictures like a regular looking Keyblade that maybe was like wrapped with like yarn and string. But is there even yarn in the movie? No, there's not. There's no. none. Which is why I was trying to do the same thing too. I was trying to think of like a cat-like Keyblade. But I'm like, but there's not like a lot of stereotypical cat things in this musical. It's all about weird, esoteric, like, like cat rituals, I guess. Yeah. This is like essentially the Jellicles are kind of like the Heaven's <clears throat> Gate, like cults of cats or like, I'm trying to think what's what would be. An, they're almost like within the cat world, their own weird religious cult, or like they're the Illuminati of cats. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what the analogy is here, but that's why I, the only thing I could think of is like, I don't know, just do it with Sora's three names because there's nothing that you can really clom onto or like, I don't know, just call it the fucking Jellicle blade and be done with it. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. There is so much fan fiction. So it much. was disgusting. So, so much. I was so overwhelmed. I don't really know where to start. Um, so let me just talk briefly at high levels. If there is a type of sexual act that you can think of, there is fan fiction yes. of two or more cats from the musical doing it and i and i I, and i even searched from cats 2019 like specifically tagged with that so i'm not talking about cast musical in general i'm talking about this movie every possible pairing of cats you can pop every every pairing you can imagine yes and and i'm talking about like acceptable forms of sexual intimacy and illegal forms like it is all there I did not read much about any of them in detail because there's just, it's probably all going to seem the same. Um, and maybe I did myself a disservice by not trying to find like one that was hilarious. I just saw so much appear in like the erotica subgenre that I was like, I don't, I'm not, I'm done. I'm not going down this road. I just started reading like tags at that point. And my goodness, the amount of tags the amount yeah. of just disturbing sounding things like like you said any two cats two or more cats in this musical they have banged in fan fiction does it also if it nauseates you to think about a certain sex act you can find it in somewhere in the cats mm-hmm. uh you know fan fiction world and it it will traumatize you yeah <laughs> it, it will yep um what what did you find I mean, I kind of, I didn't find like the one thing that was, that jumped out at me is like, this is what I have to talk about. There, there, it it ranged from just graphic and explicit to just boring as sin, just basically as, as, as a a boring or annoying as listening to the music. Like there are people who care very much about the relationship between these cats apparently, and have kind of really elaborated on it. Like there's, there was one of like McCavity and um, Grisbella. She's Jennifer Hudson's character, just like becoming friends. And because that's someone just wanted to see them become friends. And, and I almost want to meet the people who love this so much. They want to write fan fiction as somebody who's, they may, they, there might be an overlap between those people and the people who were moved to tears by this movie. 
absolutely. I would I would say that there <laughs> there should be. I think if you're gonna write that much fan fiction about so it. So I feel like I, I'm like letting uh, myself and you down by like by I just did not. It, there was nothing that was like this is the one. And there's I you know I've got uh, to the one I was gonna bring up was one that had more tags than <laughs> anything. Uh, yeah, I, I picked two and I picked them both for reasons of tagging and then another reason that I'll elaborate on. But tag tagging is a great way to find things when it's just a giant mountain. Yeah. Can I just I'll just read one to you. Like the actual content is not it's just the sounds. It's the same as everything else. But the amount of tags uh, is enough to earn an explicit rating uh, on Spotify. <laughs> please, please, please read it. That. First of all, it lists every combination of cats possible. Uh, sure. uh, here we go. Kinktober. Kinktober 2020. Gags. <laughs> bondage. BDSM. Punishment. Cunnilingus. Cat oh. boys and cat girls. Texting. Yeah. Daddy Te- kink. Wait, texting was a tag? Yeah. You want, you just, who's searching by the tag texting? I don't know. They don't, they don't care what else is in the story. They just want texting to be featured. Daddy kink, rimming, whipping, naughty old ladies, partner swapping, dirty talk, sex toys, begging, aphrodisiacs, witchcraft, safe oh. words, lap dance, hand job, kitten play, uh, master slash pet, body swap, formal wear. <laughs> oh, I love that. Hangover. Anal sex, nipple play, human furniture. <laughs> human furniture. Again, I like click the human furniture tag. Let's see what pops up. Hegging, filming, sex tapes, nipple piercings. Are you ready for the best one? Yes. Taxes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Wait, how do they fit taxes in there? Uh, I don't know. Oh, I, I maybe I guess I, I should have read it, but I just none of it like appealed to me. Um uh, so anyway. So, I, yeah, I similarly search by ridiculous tags because, again, when you have just a franchise that has mountains and mountains of fan fiction, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. The other way I tend to search when there's mountains and mountains to sift through is by length, because you can really see the people who are passionate about the, the you know franchise by the length. So I found two, I think are the longest cat fan fictions I found in existence on the Internet. How many words? I'm going to have you guess. It's, it's, I believe, the top two. I'm historically bad at this. Um, 18,000. Well, translate it into how many pages in a book it would be, because that, I think, is the, the easier thing to guess. <clears throat> 300. Ding, ding, ding. Um, yeah, it was. I found one that was about 140,000 words and one that was about 160,000 words. That's between around 310 to 350 or 60 pages. Wow. I mean, yeah. I was also just way off of what I thought translated between words. 18,000 <laughs> words is not that many words. No, friend. it's not. I, d- yeah. I did think before I spoke. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like these would be full like Stephen King-esque novels um, if they were released in length. Right. Yeah. Um, so one is called Curiosity Killed the Cat. Um, and I chose it both for its insane length, also its insane tags, which includes, well, I'll just give you the range of tags. Okay. Okay. Here is some coming of age, sibling bonding, family feels, um, let's see, surprise siblings, morally ambiguous characters, 
deaf character, asexual character, mental health issues, healing. Okay, so those are some tags, right? Here are other tags. Manipulative relationship, blood and violence, references to past <laughs> rape, threats of rape slash non-consensual sex, first time, angst slash hurt feelings, age difference, abandonment issues, animalistic, sharing a bed, threats of violence. Um, this is a this is a tag. This full thing is a tag. The rum tum tugger does all caps care for a cuddle. <laughs> that's, um, that's as good as taxes. <laughs> original original characters who are minors. Um, and this is my favorite. This is the tag. Eventual smut. <laughs> Event eventual. It gets there. Nothing gets start me there. going more than the the promise of smut. It's <laughs> it's a promise of smut. Also, what I think is really bold to put in a tag uh, that really takes the wind out of your sails. Happy ending. If someone knows it's going to be a happy ending, you're really just sucking the air out of the room by telling them that. Well, I guess maybe it's a twist because given all those other tags that you mentioned, I would not have expected a happy ending. Well, with the tags family friendly and like family feels and sibling bonding, I would expect a happy ending. I wouldn't have. That sounds like a lot of really disturbing sexual activity. Yeah. Well, this fan fiction, if anyone's interested, is called Curiosity Killed the Cat by Starfar. Um, and I think this person is sad and I think they should publish a real book. That's 350 pages. Yeah. Put all that effort into something more productive. The other one I think is fucking rad. Um, (laughs) and I think it's rad simply because the summary, because, um, this person clearly has a vision and that vision can only become, uh, realized through fan fiction. And that's by a giant mashup. Okay. And, it's not for me, all of these mashups, but one, I can definitely see an audience for it. Two, I definitely think this person had fun writing this book. Three, it's 166 chapters. Um, so, you know, they, they went for it. Um, and four, again, this is longer. This is almost 350 pages. Would you like to hear just the summary? I absolutely would. A city at war, a girl training to become a Sith, a pirate looking for revenge, a cat looking for a new life, a zombie who wants to end the universe, five magical school students forced to save the day. This is the end of the Trials and Tragedies trilogy. What? They're they're, they're promising a lot with that. Doesn't that sound rad? It does kind of. And knowing that like they completed it and it's like a full novel, like if this is your jam, if you want to cross over between like Star Wars and Harry Potter and Cats and like you're you're getting it you're like it's here yeah (laughs) um also in chapter one at the end author's note r.i.p sapphire i don't know if that's a person or a real i don't know i don't know what yeah but my guess is it's a cat sounds like a cat i don't know um i just love that like you this could never be a published novel because of course it's you know all these different series like you know mashed together but it's like Listen, if this is your weird to, you know, to use a pun, if this is your catnip, right? Like these specific series clashing together, you have, you have lots of material to enjoy, to enjoy for yourself. So, mm. wow. But yeah, that was, that was fan fiction corner disappointing in, in, in its own unique way. This well, week. so let me ask you this though. I mean, do you think this deserves fan fiction? What would yours be? I, I, have, I put more thought into what mine is than I did 
in my kingdom hearts stuff i okay here's yes i think it deserves fan fiction but can i tell you the fan fiction i would like to see yes just more cute poems about different kinds of cats in the style mm. of t.s Eliot. like that would be the perfect fan fiction for this are you trolling me right now no i'm not why what did you have no no i mean i would hate that well but don't you think that's more appropriate than having like a 300 page epic about like mr mistopheles you know wanting to fuck victoria yeah right right i guess when you put it like that yeah so mine is basically we kind of touched on it imagine a reincarnated cat like all these jellical cats go get reincarnated and where do they end up aaron they end up in another universe. Can you tell me what the other universe would be? What would be a great one? They all become Sonic the Hedgehog characters. No, but that's a great guess. They all become cats in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Were there cats in that? No, but there <laughs> are now because this is a fan fiction. This is a, this is a crossover musical of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, but they constantly are being interrupted by cats explaining who they are. Okay, now that you're saying that out loud, can we please just do like the Andrew Lloyd Webber cinematic universe mashup? Sure. Like we could get the Phantom of the Opera in there. I bet the I bet the cats would like would ally with the Phantom. I bet they would be allies for some reason. Yeah. And I bet Joseph and Jesus would be <laughs> one team up. <laughs> Like, can't you just see the character pairings now? Yeah. Yeah. Look, let's have the Andrew Lloyd Webber cinematic universe, musical universe. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess I don't need any more fan fiction from this. This. No, tra- I, think trash it, heap. I, I think it warrants it, but I think it's deeply, deeply misguided. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that besides was besides thinking was about cats. cats yeah. yeah. Besides that, what have you, uh, what have you been up to? Uh, I haven't been playing that many video games the last week other than like continuing Dark Souls 2. Um, I watched a bunch of movies. I just finished um, the most recent season of Demon Slayer earlier today. Um, I'll just list a couple of movies. Um, Miranda and I saw Death on the Nile, the second Kenneth Branagh adaptation of the Perot. I Yeah, I um, enjoyed Murder on the Orient Express. I thought it was a little slow, but I liked it. Uh, and I've heard similar things about Death on the Nile. Yeah, I felt similarly. I walked out of Death on the Nile thinking i liked it more but when i thought about it again i think i probably liked them both about the same um i we also watched romancing the stone last night um which it's i don't know how to describe it i mean it's 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 one of those like classic movies that came out in the wake of uh rares the lost ark Yeah, yeah you know um one movie uh, I want to, I was a couple movies I watched also Mother by Bong Joon Ho and The Last Duel. Um, the Ben Affleck, uh, Matt Damon reunite, like them reunited and they reunited and wrote a screenplay and were both in this movie directly directed by Ridley Scott. I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I didn't really expect to enjoy it. The, the one, the movie that I thought was excellent was Shiva Baby. Okay, I have not heard of that. It is about a bisexual Jewish college student who is who has a sugar daddy that she found via a, an app because um, she is like needs someone to fund her college. Um, are you are you just describing my college years? Yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, and. 
the whole movie is basically she goes to Shiva with her with her parents and who happens to be there but her sugar daddy. Well, also sitting Shiva, doesn't that mean isn't I could be completely wrong. I'm not an expert on Jewish tradition by any means, but isn't that when someone dies, you yes. go to sit with the family, right? Yes. Yeah. So the whole movie takes place in a in a house for the most part. And she's with her family who are a bunch of naggers. She's with her ex girlfriend who likes to give her shit and he her her sugar daddy shows up with his wife and kid and it just spirals and it is it's really really funny but one of the things i liked most about it is it the the score is a lot of like high-pitched string work like a horror movie and it was it was very intentional the director she said like she wanted it to, to like rack it up the tension like it was a horror movie and make her feel like she's trapped and like suffocating. And it really works well. Again, it's not a horror movie though. It's kind of anxiety inducing at times. It's really, really funny. And it's like a crisp, like 80 minute movie. Highly, highly recommend it. Give uh, give the title again. Shiva baby. It's free on HBO max. Okay. I yeah. I that sounds very intriguing to me. And like, it apparently is being adopt uh, adapted into a TV series. Um, oh, like the successful My Big Fat Greek Life TV series. <laughs> well, let's hope that this one has some success. Uh, but yeah, I, I really recommend it. I thought it was great. Okay. And yeah, I watched I, Spencer at your recommendation. We talked about that a little bit. I wasn't as uh, hot on it as you were. Um, but I don't. I don't think it was a bad movie by any means. I thought it was a good movie. Um, for the most part. Um, I just, yeah, I, I, I think I might just be allergic to that genre a little bit. I can see that. I, I can see that it's not a movie for everyone. Um, I think you're right. I think that tech, it is on a technical level, a very good movie. Yeah. Um, and I think like, I just connect with the themes probably a little bit more than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. Like it's, it's certainly not a bad movie. It's a beautiful really, looking and sounding movie. It is. It is. It, even as like sad as it is. Yeah. And then, um, so speaking of like, I mean, I Shiva baby, like as like a kind of like a woman su- feeling like she's suffocating and overwhelmed. I mean, that's very much what Spencer was. And I think both movies are very good at, in their own way of, of um, showing it. Yeah. I just, I think I connected to it a little more because I was actually Charles's first choice before Diana. Oh, um, oh. and so I just, I know that world and um you know, he's a, he's a demanding man. He's hard to make happy. Well, that's fucked up since you were probably like one year old or not alive. <laughs> I don't really know. I think they got together in the late eighties. So, Oh yeah. You're maybe. Right. Um, um, yeah. So yeah. When I have not been reminiscing on my pastimes with the Royal family um, <laughs> this week, I have been dipping my toes into earthbound. Uh, oh, nice. Mine. Yeah. Uh, I gotta do that. That and the earthbound and yes, uh, both were released my theory um, is that they are prepping to release Mother 3 as part of their Game Boy Advance Switch Online launch, which I know is coming at some point in the future. I hope so. Which will also lead the way for an eventual Mother 4 on Switch, which I guarantee they are also planning, if not for the U.S. market, absolutely for the Japanese one. I would I would love that. And I say that as someone with only a tiny bit of familiarity with the Earthbound series, I or the Mother series, I need I, I i picked up earthbound for 3ds a while back and i never finished it and so i want to just do it all over again and replay it um 
on Switch Online. So I'm looking forward to doing that. I just got to carve out some time to do it. Yeah, when I was a kid and I was big into SNES emulation, I definitely da- um, downloaded the ROMs for both the Earth, they call it Earthbound Beginnings um, and Earthbound. And I was playing a translated version of Earthbound Beginnings because it wasn't originally raced in the US, bounced off that because it's a very old school uh, JRPG, and then bounced off of Earthbound because even though it looked cool and the music was cool, the mechanics were just a little too old school RPG for me. Um, playing it now as an adult, I definitely appreciate it. I definitely appreciate the humor, the writing, the music is incredible. The music is so good. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was able to find a downloadable PDF of the very original, um, I think Nintendo power strategy guide that they just gave you with the game. Oh, cool. And reading through that has been a complete, complete delight. Um, it's, it's, old nintendo power at the height of its powers it's it's an amazing like guide in it in and of itself we should do an episode a special episode on nintendo power sorry to interrupt you i I gotta go home and grab for my my parents house and grab a bunch of my old copies and just start rooting through them i 100 the only thing is and maybe you can fill in the gap here where where i have it i didn't start collecting nintendo like I, i saw nintendo powers when i was like six or seven but i didn't start like collecting them until probably the very late nintendo 64 era and so i'm missing a lot of nintendo power experience but that's not to say that i'm I'm completely unqualified to do an episode on it yeah we um we had ones we never subscribed but between me and my brothers we all picked it up fairly regularly and i know we had older ones because they would pick things up for like nintendo games and things that they were playing um, but yeah, we definitely got into it more during the Nintendo 64 era, mm-hmm. but we, we did have earlier stuff, but it's just that, and you'll know exactly what I mean, or anyone out there will know what I mean if you read Nintendo power, but there's just a color palette. There's just a style they had there. Yeah. just everything about it. And just looking at it was such a blast from the past. There's so much love and care that they put in, yeah. in that magazine. Yeah. There's so much personality. Google, when we're done, Google earthbound, um, like Nintendo power strategy guide, and just take okay. a look at the images. That's kind of what I've been using playing through the game and just again, adoring it. Also, it has that Zelda one issue again, where before when I was playing it as a kid through emulation, I was playing it without the guide or the strategy guide that it came with. And mm-hmm. again, I bumped my head up into it. Um, whereas now that I'm playing with it, it makes everything really easy. Also, it's kind of been making me think about my, um, relationship with strategy guides or walkthroughs. Um, when I was a little, a little kid, I kind of used the strategy guide for everything because I didn't want to miss anything. And I wasn't Mm -hmm. as confident in myself as a video game player. The older I got, I issued strategy guides. I didn't want to use them specifically to prove like, no, I don't need them. I can find everything on my own. You know, like I can beat the game by myself. Yeah. But again, now the older I'm getting, the more I'm like, eh, you know, fuck it. Like I just, I want to play through games to enjoy them and to get everything out of them. I'm way more comfortable now using a strategy guide and earthbound, which is like, listen, that game's been out a while. I could just read the entire plot if I wanted to right. or just watch other people play it on YouTube, but I want to do it myself. So I'm just going to do it as like a guided experience and I'm fine with that. Yeah, that's great. I, I loved strategy guides less for the utility and more because I fucking loved maps. Yeah. I, and I loved in general, I loved maps, but I loved seeing video game area, especially when video video games came like 3d and such like represented in a map. I, I, I still remember the Mario 64 and the Ocarina of time strategy guides. And I thought they were so cool. So, so cool. Um, same with the Metroid Prime strategy guide, which actually has a map that is more readable than the map in the game. Oh, 
<laughs> I mean, that's probably says bad things about the game, but good things about the guide. Yeah. It's probably really the only thing about the game that I think is weak. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Check out Earthbound Beginnings, everyone. Or no, regular Earthbound. <clears throat> Beginnings is the insufferable, grindy NES one. But yeah. maybe, who knows? Maybe you'll love that one too. Yep. And, um, you know, as always, uh, from the both of us, uh, watch The Grinch. Yeah. And cats. No. <laughs> I can't. Bye. I, bye. <laughs>